0: 1 Peter three fifteen says, uh, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, by the way, and then verse 16 also says, and to do so with gentleness and respect. Um, Nabeel was a Muslim. David was a follower of Christ. Uh, both were uh, students at Old Dominion University. They had just uh, really just met each other. They were on their first uh, trip of the year for a debate um, a debate uh, meeting. And uh, in that, they were on their way through Maryland. Uh, the team celebrating the start of the debate season uh, had a dinner out, had pizza out together. And then uh, that evening, the coach assigned each of them to their hotel rooms where they were staying at. And by God's providence, uh, Nabil was uh, put in a hotel room with David, and uh, the story ensues. The rest of the team wanted to go and celebrate the start of the season. Most members left to go drinking or dancing at a nearby bar, while some of the others were looking for a suitable place to smoke various things. I had never engaged in any of those activities and I was not looking to start. David also decided against joining them and was intrigued and I was intrigued by that. I wondered what made him different from the rest of the team and more like me. I did not have to wait long to find out. While I was unpacking in the hotel room, David sat down in in the armchair in the corner of the room, kicked up his feet, pulled out his Bible and started to read. It was difficult, it is difficult to express just how flabbergasted I was by this. Never in my life had I seen anyone read a Bible uh, in his free time. In fact, I had not even heard of this happening. True, I knew Christians revered the Bible, but I figured that they all knew in their hearts that it had been changed over time and that there was no point in reading it. So in the same moment I found out David was a Christian, I also concluded that he must be especially deluded. Since there was no barriers between us, I just asked him, so David, are you a hardcore Christian? (laughs) David looked amused. Yeah, I guess I am then. Uh, You do realize that the Bible has been corrupted, right? Oh, really? Yeah, it's been changed over time. Everyone knows that. David looked unconvinced but genuinely interested in what I had to say. How's that, Nabil? Well, it's obvious. For one, just look at how many Bibles there are. I mean, you have the King James Version, the New International Version, the Revised Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, and who knows how many others. If I want to know exactly what God has to say, how am I supposed to know which Bible to go to? They are all different. Okay. David replied, "Is that the only reason you think the Bible isn't trustworthy?" David's calm and controlled response, by the way, 1 Peter 3:15 and 16 was surprising to me. People were usually caught off guard by such questions I had. Uh, Nabil said, "No, there are tons of reasons." Well, David said, "I'm listening then." After all, remember they're part of a debate team. Breaking away from my suitcase, I collected my thoughts. There have been times, well, when Christians take out whole sections of the Bible that they don't want anymore, and they add stuff that they wish was there. Well, like what? I don't know the exact references, but I know that they added the Trinity into the Bible. I mean, later when they were called out, they removed it. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about 1 John 5. I had no idea what 1 John 5 even meant but I practically jumped him for admitting the flaw. So you've known all along. <laughs> oh, I know what you're referring to, but I don't think you're seeing it correctly. Well, how am I not seeing it right? It's not that Christians are just adding and removing things as if there is some grand conspiracy with people controlling the text of the Bible. I mean, you know, let's just imagine for a second that someone did want to, do, to add stuff. Do you think that he could just change all the Bibles in the world? Well, maybe not, I admitted, approaching my bed and sitting across from David, but enough of them. Uh, Enough of what? Well, enough to effectively change the text. And the conversation goes on, I will just say, just for a short period of time. And it comes to this. I let all this new information sink in and I looked at David in a new light. Where did he get all this information? And why hadn't I heard it before? I found it all hard to believe. My incredulity won out. David, I don't believe you. I've got to see this for myself. He laughed, good. You'd be letting me down if you didn't look into this further. But if you're going to do this right, you better bring it. I got up, started walking back to my suitcase and said, oh, don't worry. I'll bring it. After I finished unpacking, we focused on final preparations for the tournament. And all the while, I kept thinking about our conversation. We talked about that a few weeks ago, having conversations with people. I was still fully convinced that the Bible was corrupt, but I had to deal with more advanced arguments than I had previously heard. I was excited to return home and dive more deeply into these matters. Interesting. Interesting. The very first issue on the table for Nabil about Christianity was the trustworthiness of the Bible, the reliability of the Bible. Before even wanting to talk about what the Bible had to say, the beginning issue was whether what it said was accurate, was an accurate accounting of what was originally written. And David, as a sent-forward follower of Christ, brought 1 Peter 3, 5, 15, and 16 to the table always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and to do so with gentleness and respect. Can we trust the Bible? We're entering uh, four Sundays here, including today, of uh, apologetics, Uh, the subject uh, not of giving apologies, but the subject of defending the faith. As a sent forward people, as we have been studying over the prior months, uh, what are some things that are on the table that people oftentimes think of as well as we do in trying to equip us to be more effective being sent forward? Can we trust the Bible as one of them? By the way, next Sunday, Pastor Chris is gonna be leading the conversation of do always lead to God? And then the following Sunday, I'll be back, and it'll be, can there be hope in the hurt? It's kind of oriented to the why do bad things happen? And then Pastor Eric is going to finish up with, are heaven and hell real? But today is, can we trust the Bible? The Bible contains writings of ancient literature. The Bible contains writings that were actually initially penned down some 2,000 to 3,500 years ago. And the question comes out is, is how do we know that what we have in our Bible today is an accurate representation of that? I mean, after all, you know the telephone game, right? You know, you start a story and you pass to the next, you pass to the next, you get to the end and you go, ha ha, that's hilarious, that's nothing like what it started out as. Uh, How do we know that what we have be trusted. I think it's really important that I clarify a few things in our conversation as we delve into this today of what I'm not talking about today. I'm not asking today whether you believe what is written in the Bible I'm not asking today whether the Bible is sourced from God as it says it is divinely inspired by God. That is not the conversation today. The conversation today is not centered around is the Bible fully sufficient for all of life and godliness as it says that it is. That's not the conversation today. Uh, It is not the conversation about does what God has to say in the Bible about us and him and all of life. Is it true or not? That is not the conversation today. I am asking today the question question of, can we know if the Bible has accurately what was originally written? Is it reliable? And and to answer that question, we actually can't go to the Bible because it precedes that. Uh, Just like Nabil, it's essentially, I don't even want to go to the Bible because I just don't even trust it. The question on the table today is a question that precedes going to the Bible. It's a question of ancient literature, and it has to be put up to all of the ancient literature analysis and testing that has to go on for us to be able to see, can we trust it? So here's where we're going to proceed today. First, we're going to start out with textual comparison. We're going to do some comparison of, of the Bible with other, uh, other writings. That's going to be authority source origination. Uh, then it's gonna be modern day publication. Fascinating, I think, reality with that. Then it's gonna be a world influence impression. And then we'll go in secondly to textual transmission, which really sets the case for, or, or the basis for our moder- modern day translations. And the last one will be textual uh, translation. And I'll just say this right now, if you're visiting with us and you're here this morning, and in all this, you're going, whoa, this is a different Sunday at a church. Yep, welcome to Radiant Seminary. (laughs) Because I'm not kidding, that's where we're going today. And I want for you to know, my goal today is not to close the case on the question. My goal today is to engage you and equip you with items around the question. Our comm team is going to be sending out an email, a blog uh, here this coming week that's going to have a whole source of of books that I've used over. This is a subject for me I've been interested in literally for 45 years now. And uh, they're going to be having that with a whole bunch of sources you can dive into. This is intro to that. Let me pray for us as we start. And God, your word is an amazing reality. And so here we are, ready to jump in, ready to dive in. And I just pray that you would help us to be learners here. I'm cranked up about this, so help me through this time. In your name, amen. Textual comparison. The first of that, authority source origination. I'm going to be using the center screen as my more text board for this time with it. I want us to look at the origins of six faith systems, six faith sources. And we're going to take a look at their holy book. I want to begin with Hinduism. Hinduism, their holy book, kind of uh, their authority source, is the Vedas. It is a collection of Hindu Dharma. It's composed, composed in his primary holy book. It has other sacred writings that are also important to Hinduism. The Vedas includes ancient hymnic teachings believed to be imparted from God and referencing actual historical events. It is believed to have been composed around 1500 B.C. or before by Indo-Aryan sages or scribes who, who then wrote things down. It was then later codified in 600 uh, B.C. Uh, we then have uh, Buddhism. I actually grabbed this, uh, this from uh, when I was on business back in the days in Tokyo. I took it out of the hotel room. <laughs> Info on the table. Buddhism, Uh, the core collection of uh, Buddhism dharma is the Tripitaka, or the Tipitaka, depending where you are in the world and how they say it. It means three baskets. Uh, Other sacred writings include the Sutras, uh, the Book of the Dead. Uh, The Tripitaka is the earliest collections of teaching from Siddhartha Gautama. He is the Buddha. He lived from 563 to 483 BC. After Buddha's death, some 500 of his enlightened disciples who were deemed to have been free from need of further rebirth gathered in 483 B.C. at the First Buddhist Council to discuss discuss three things. They first discussed Buddha's core teachings. Secondly, an agreement on those teachings. Third, arranged them such that they could be communally chanted. So then they were communally chanted, passed on uh, his dharma, uh, orally passed down until collected and canonized in 25 BC. Islam, its authority source is the Quran. For a period of 23 years from 609 AD, we just made a huge jump in time, to uh, 632 AD, Muhammad bin Abdul al Karashi, uh, which means Muhammad's son of Abdul, Abdullah the Qureshi uh, received the continued words of God. Remember when Nabeel and his thing said, it's, the Bible is corrupted, that's why the Quran is viewed as the continued words of God, the right words of God. Muhammad was uh, illiterate, he could not read, he could not write so he orally recited the teachings to his followers. Some 20 years following his death, one of the caliphs ordered that the leaders ordered that the collection of available teachings from Muhammad be compiled. And in 650 AD, those teachings became the canonized Quran. Five copies were then sent to various locations, and every other supporting manuscript, by the way, compared to the Bible, which were hardly any, uh, were, were ordered to be burnt because it was believed that the direct, literal words of God were now rightly and fully preserved in its, quote, perfect, unaltered, written form. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, their authority source is the New World Translation of the Bible. It's the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, Charles Taze Russell, uh, born in 1852, organized a Bible class in Pittsburgh at the age of 18. His teachings began to be published in the latter 1800s through his Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. He claimed that the Bible could only be rightly understood through his understanding of Scripture. Russell died in uh, 1960, October 31st, tomorrow, 1916. Uh, Thirty years later, the Watchtower Society uh, pursued a, quote, fresh translation of the Bible founded on Russell's teachings and the New World Translation. New Testament was published in 1950. By the way, can I just say this? So you really didn't know what the New Testament said until 1950. And the Old Testament followed 11 years later in 1961 when I was born. (laughs) Not because of me. Mormonism, Uh, the Book of Mormon. Uh, The Book of Mormon was composed in 1827, published in 1830. Joseph Smith was born in 1805. Uh, here's the Book of Mormon. He was uh, born in 1805. At the age of 14, uh, he said that he received a vision from God and Jesus that he was not to join any Christian churches. Then in 1823, at the age of 18, he said the angel Moroni uh, appeared to him and told him that he was selected to translate uh, the, Mormon, the Book of Mormon. Mormon. He was told at that time that golden plates were buried near his home in Palmyra, New York, but he was not to access them for four years. So according to Smith, in 1827, four years later, he dug up the golden tablets along with special glasses that he used to translate the Reformed English text. And after composing the Book of Mormon, Smith said he gave the tablets and glasses back to the angel uh, Moroni. Uh, Thus, uh, they do not exist today. How convenient. Christianity, um, the Holy Bible, um, the Old Testament, the New Testament, 66 books, was composed over a span of some 1,500 years from uh, right around 445 B.C. to uh, A.D. 95. It was written by some 40 authors from varying backgrounds from three different continents who wrote in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Ancient Greek. Uh, I could list others, I could note Catholicism, their authority sources, Old Testament, New Testament, the Apocrypha, and church teachings, which oftentimes supersedes everything else. I could make mention of Judaism, which just goes to the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, this is a, a version I have, I actually use this quite often in Old Testament readings, it's really a fantastic translation uh, of the Old Testament, it's complete, the books are completely different order uh, than what we have in our Bibles. A whole bunch of time could be spent going through all of the textual origination issues with each, but I'm just gonna highlight a couple here. I'm just trying to introduce you to the subjects and hopefully even get you interested in them. One observation that I have is only Hindu and Christianity are the only, quote, religions that are based on not one person. Hinduism is really based on a culture, on a people uh, of time before that it came on, but it's not founded by one person. And I'll also add the difference even between Hinduism authority source and the Bible's authority source, their textual origination and compilation, each of them are utterly unlike. So they are alike in one fashion, utterly unlike in another. Uh, Secondly, I know Buddhism, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and most every other religion are built on one person in one lifetime. And I'm going to tell you, even when I was in high school and college and doing my geeky research on some of this stuff, I asked myself the question even at that time, and I do today, do I want to base my understanding of God, my understanding of life, my understanding of eternity on one person or one lifetime? And I'm just telling you, my answer is no, I don't. The origination accounts, third of the Vedas, the Tripitaka, uh, the Quran, the New World's Translation, the Book of Mormons, uh, I, we don't have time to go on, but they just have red flags all over them. I will just tell you, Islam claims that the Quran is the quote, unaltered direct words of God, but there are problems all over that, even with just a couple pieces of information that I made mention to you. I'll also just say Joseph Smith found gold Egyptian tablets. In Palmyra, New York. Problem. And in all of this, the point to see is that the authority source origins are nothing alike. By the way, I've just set Pastor Chris up for next Sunday with, do all religions lead to God? Their authority sources are nothing alike. Let's go into the next category, textual comparison with modern-day publication. Uh, Like with the subject of origination, uh, what I'm about to show you is not intended to close the case on this subject. It is just, to me personally even, a fascinating item regarding publication. Let's take the 25 top-selling books of human history, and let's begin with the first. Quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong, 1964. I don't know if you have a copy of that, but 1.1 billion copies have been published we're not talking dollars we're not talking yen we're not talking any kind of foreign exchange we're talking copies 1.1 billion of them it's about enough for each person there let's go under a billion to 500 million published the quran 800 million it's stunning Uh, We go to Don uh, Quixote, Uh, part one was published in 1605, part two in 1615, a half a billion. You go to Harry Potter, the eight book series, just not too long ago, eclipsed 500 million copies of that series. Let's go to under 500 million to 200 million published. The Chinese Dictionary, 400 million. That's nearly one Chinese dictionary per household in China. A Tale of Two Cities. 200 million. The Book of Mormon, 200 million. The Little Prince, 200 million. Let's go under 100 million to 100 million. Under 200 to 100 million. The Lord of the Rings, there you go, 155 million. You've got scouting for boys in 1908. Wow, has life changed in America, right? Uh, there's, and, when the, and then there were none, Agatha Christie, the, the Dream of the Red Chamber, The Hobbit, 100 million, She, A History of Adventure in 2020, fascinating, 100 million. Under 100 million to 50 million published, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe in 1950, 85 million. You have The Da Vinci Code, you have Think and Grow Rich, by the way, which came out right after the Great Depression. Talking about timing, there you go. The Catcher in the Rye, The Alchemist, we go on and on, and Charlotte's Web! Who doesn't love that when they were a kid, right? I still so remember Mrs. Denny reading that. And uh, Anne of Green Gables, 50 million. These 24 top-selling books total 5.2 billion copies published. Well, book number 25, How many is the Bible? The Bible is over five billion copies. Some say five to seven billion. Friends, pause. It's not that the Bible has sold more than any other book in human history. It's not that the Bible has sold more than the top 10 books of human history. The Bible has sold the equivalent of the top let's say, 25 books in human history, and I'm just telling you, that is a stunning number. Doug, does that prove anything? No, I am just telling you, it is a huge reality, though. Origination, publication... Let's go to textual comparison with world influence impression. If 5.2 plus billion of the Bibles have been published, uh, has it had an impact on our world? Well, yes, it has. But let's ask the question, has Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and et cetera, et cetera, and Christianity, have they all had an impact on our world reality? Yes. Without question on that. But... Put the lasting impression of Christianity on the world seen up to any other, and I would even suggest all other religions, and its world impression impact is unlike. I have on the center screen the picture of a book. Uh, it's almost 30 years old now, but is fantastic. D. James Kennedy wrote the book uh, "What If Jesus Had Never Been Born." Well, let me just read to you some of the content chapter titles chapter titles, Christ's impact on world history, Christianity's impact on the value of human life. These are each different chapters. Christianity's impact on helping the poor, Christianity's impact on the education, impact on the founding of America, impact on civil liberties, on science, on economics, on sex and family, impact on health and medicine, on morality, on the arts and music. And I'm going to say this, and I love that he includes chapter 14, the sins of the church and the negative aspects of Christian history. Friends, history is not to be removed. History is to be read, understood, and there are even things out of it that we learn never that again. And here in it, there is, that does not negate the incredible, I would encourage you to read it, and it'll just help you see the unique dynamic that Christianity has had upon the world in most every area of life around the world. Textural comparison. Origination, publication, impression. Let me go to the second key category, textual transmission. The fact as to why this is important is because we do not have any of the original writings. We don't have the document that Moses uh, wrote to Pentateuch on. We don't have uh, David's psalm's original writings as he wrote them, or Matthew's, or Mark's, or Luke's, or John's, or Paul's. So the question goes, so how do we know? Well, how we know is what's called textual transmission. And this is not a religious conversation. This is actually a archeology. span This is actually a literary conversation in how ancient literature is brought together and thought through. And so we go to that. We go to the process. What's, what's the channel? What are the links? I'll just build this for you. We begin with the original manuscripts, uh, the original writings, 1445 BC to about eighty uh, ninety five. It's worth noting that the Old Testament reliability really has not been the item of question. The the question of ancient literature reliability has more to do with the New Testament than actually with the Old Testament. Um, Even in the times of Christ, it was pretty much well understood all over the world, uh, the origination of the Old Testament. We could go from original manuscripts to early copies, um, specifically New Testament copies we have the the Ryland manuscript 8130 the Bodomer uh, man's the Beatty Papyra, AD 150 to 200. The fact of the span of just literally 30 years or 100 years over, I'm not doing this span of length of transmission times comparison, but I'm telling you it's phenomenal as it has to do with, if you bring any professor of PhD with literature, they are amazed by the closeness of the movement uh, of the time of literature. You add to the early copies the Codus Vaticanus, uh, AD 325, to 350, nearly all of the Old Testament and New Testament, and it's in the Vatican Library. The Codus Sinaiticus, 8350, uh, nearly all of the New Testament, over half of the Old Testament, it's in the British Museum. You have the Codus Andronis, uh, some kind of word, 8425, um, nearly all of the Old Testament and New Testament uh, in the British Museum. We go to ancient copies, which isn't just New Testament, but we're coming to ancient copies, including the Septuagint, which goes back to 285 BC. By the way, the Septuagint really shows that the canon of the Old Testament was already known uh, before Jesus even put his feet on the ground. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, also with ancient copies, you can go to the, the Samaritan Pentateuch. Uh, I'll, I'll m- keep moving on, ancient versions. You have Syriac versions, 8150 to 250. You have Latin versions, 8300 to 400. You have African old Latin, 8400. You have Coptic or Egyptian versions, 8200 to 400. You have Armenian, you have Gothic, you have Georgian, you have Nubian. It goes on and on. And I realize that I'm simply just breathing over these on a Sunday and we're not in a classroom and you still might be trying to figure out where you are right now. But I don't have the time to delve into the transmission details. A class would be a great thing for that. I'm just seeking to lay out the big picture here. But the big deal of this is, to, is this. There is a known transmission movement process with manuscripts and versions that I'll tell you about here in just a moment that are phenomenal. It's known, it's not a guess. And in fact, from here, I'll add some textual transmission uh, additions to it. You kind of have what I'll call the building block versions. Uh, The Latin Vulgate, which really kind of comes out of the ancient versions. Uh, Jerome writes of the Old Testament and the New Testament in Latin in AD 400. We have a big jump here and now we're going into the English translations. Uh, The Wycliffe Bible, Wycliffe established an effort to translate the whole Bible into English. And Wycliffe's Bible rested heavily on the Latin Vulgate and his New Testament was completed in 1380. You have Tyndale, the second of uh, the great English translators. He was a Greek scholar had access to the Greek New Testament. Big deal, And, and a big deal. And he desired that the common person have the Bible in their own language. His New Testament was completed in 1525 in the Pentateuch in 1530. Again, you have to understand the history of oral communication now becoming into the reality of the printing press and the ability to have that. Huge changes. Tyndale was burned at the stake in 1537. Following Christ can cost. Coverdale Bible. Miles Coverdale, a friend of Tyndale, largely based his translation on Tyndale's Bible, as well as Latin and other non-English versions. By the way, if you can even see it, the date that I have on there is incorrect. That was my typo error, not the staff's. It's not 1335, it was 1535 with that. Then we go to the Matthew's Bible. Uh, after two years uh, following the Cloverdale Bible. The Matthews Bible comes uh, to the table in 1537, and it's a revision of Tyndale's Bible. Please understand, as these are stacking, I did not put in it, because I was gonna get too, I was afraid it was gonna get too confusing to you. It is not like the telephone game that moves in a linear fashion all of these are coming all the way back. If you want to imagine it with the, with the uh, 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 telephone game, it's like there was an or, original, there are these massive amount of manuscripts, and what began happening is as these translations, as these versions were being added, they're coming back and coming back and coming back as close to the original sources as they possibly can. And this is building out on that, so arrows would be all over the place. So that builds out. You have the Great Bible, 1539, based on Matthew's Cloverdale and Tyndale Bibles. Again, that's where these, all these arcs are kind of moving back. It's the first Bible to be put in every parish in England. It was large, thus the name the Great Bible, literally. It was huge. In fact, it was chained to the reading desk in each parish so that it wouldn't get stolen because people desperately wanted to have an ability to read their own Bible. We don't understand all that today. Then you have the Geneva Bible, written in Geneva by scholars who fled from England. It was a very scholarly Bible, printed in smaller form than the Great Bible. Um, We'll say it was really the first study Bible. Then you have the King James Bible. 1611, made by a committee of 47 scholars, Hebrew and Greek texts were brought in, again, all of these coming back, these arrows, if you will, coming back to the original sources as much as possible, as well as using uh, other English versions. And the King James Version was a stunning advancement at the time in the Bible with all of the background of it. And in fact, I'll say this, if you still read the King James Version today, uh, you go back to the 1611, uh, 1633 versions back then, it's actually quite different. You wouldn't even understand most of the English back in that day because English has changed so much. You have the Revised Version, 220 years after the King James Version. In 1881, the Revised Version is formed by a committee of English and American scholars, brought in the most ancient of manuscripts and copies. Again, the ability out of archaeology to grab more and more copies to prove more and more is coming along. And then the American Standard Version, which brings us to the 20th. Century, 1901 is when it was published specifically for the American readers, because American English is different than English, British English. Doug, all this is good, but does it answer the question of textual reliability? Well, if you're thinking that question, I'm really glad you're asking it. That means you're thinking. I said earlier, I'm not trying to finalize the issue. I'm just trying to put some things out on the table actually to maybe help inform you that you would dig, do some further digging into all of this. But I wanted for you to see that there is a ladder, that there is a known movement of things. It's not the telephone game. It's vastly different from that. And there's a host of transmission conversations that we could have, but I just don't have the time today. But, but I will, before leaving uh, this, I have to add uh, something that's significant. In 1947 comes the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, how amazing, if you've done any experimentation, design, R&D, I have in my past with it. All of a sudden, you have moved along in your thinking, moved along in your research and your studies, and all of a sudden, pops out this unknown bank of data. You didn't know about it, and now you have something to bring in to compare it with. Everything in the latter happened before the Dead Sea Scrolls came to picture. The Dead Sea Scrolls, how are they found? I'm glad you asked. A Bedouin shepherd, lost his goat, not kidding. Lost his goat, is looking for his goat, comes to a small uh, opening in, in an area, throws some rocks in it, trying to get his goat to come out, and he hears some clay pots breaking. He squeezes himself into that. He finds clay pots, and in these clay pots are leather scrolls. I'm sorry, I just get so cranked up about how this comes about. And God almost like this complete independent, uh, what ends up being 11 caves of documents of data from the 3rd century B.C. to the 1st century A.D., going back further than actually most of the documents we ever had. And they are, have to do with record keeping in modern day times. They have to do with biblical text. There's the Isaiah scroll, 24 foot long scroll of the entire book of Isaiah. There are hundreds of thousands of fragments in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And out of all this, there's the ability to take all this grand new information and compare to see where are we at. Has it been the telephone game or are actually we like on game? And friends, I just sum it up and say this. We are on game. It is almost like there is a God that has controlled and confirmed the writing of his word. And that's the reality of what goes on. And, by the way, I'll just add, there are continued discoveries of manuscripts going on. Friends, a comparison of ancient books. Um, The most copied ancient book closest to the Bible is Homer's Iliad. There are 643 manuscript copies of Homer's Iliad. None of them are the full text. The New Testament alone, just the New Testament. There are 5,600 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, 9,300 other manuscripts in other languages, some 25,000 manuscripts of just the New Testament. It's 40 to one ratio. And how often have you heard people going, I question Homer's Iliad. 40 to one. Again, it's almost like God is over his word. Yet there is a textual ar- argument that goes like this, uh, but Doug, there are some 200,000 variant errors in the manuscripts of the past. I-, I won't dismiss that argument. I will just simply say this. It has been shown, as I'll show you here in just a second, in that whole of it, what we are counting is we are counting an initial mistake, like exact examples, a semicolon is made a comma a two letters are switched around and then they are carried on in manuscripts so one literal comma mistake can end up becoming in thousands of variant versions that's part of classified in the 200,000 So when it's worked out on this over time now, what's happened is is it's been shown that there are only 400 variant readings that cause any doubt about textual meaning, and only 50 of those, while having a level of textual translation significance, not one of them has any influence on any article of faith or precept of the Christian faith. And the argument is used, like Nabeel, frankly, uses it, And yet it's not understood even on how it's all come about and how it's worked out. In fact, it has been shown that there is a 98.33% surety of the Bible's manuscripts. And that 1.67 variant error is what comprises the 200,000, quote, variant errors. And they have been shown to have no endangerment of any doctrine in the Christian life. Josh McDowell, the writer of Evidence That Demands a Verdict, was seeking to pursue his law degree, and in the pursuit of that, his objective was to try and dismiss, as a key project, dismiss the historicity and validity of the Bible and Jesus. And he says this, After trying to shatter the historicity and the validity of the Scripture, I came to the conclusion that it is historically trustworthy. If one discards the Bible as being unreliable, then he must discard almost all literature of antiquity. John Leah compares the Bible with Shakespeare's writings and said this, It seems strange that the text of Shakespeare, which has been in existence less than 208 years as of that time, should be far more uncertain and corrupt than that of the New Testament. Now over 18 centuries old, during nearly 15 of which it existed only in manuscript... He goes on to say, with perhaps a dozen or 20 exceptions, the text of every verse in the New Testament may be said to be so far settled by general consent of scholars that any dispute as to its readings must relate rather to the interpretation of the words than to any doubts respecting the words themselves. But in every one of Shakespeare's 37 plays, there are probably a hundred readings still in dispute, a large portion of which materially affects the meaning of the very passage in which they occur. And yet the Bible is viewed as unreliable. Lastly, textual translation. We have a framework upon which our modern-day translations come from. It's not a random series of random things. It's a known series of known things that any ancient literature specialist could come up and they would do the same thing with any piece of ancient literature. And so now we have our translations, our English ones. From 1952 to 1970, Bible translations were formed out of a vast manuscript reality. You have the Revised Standard Version in 1952, the Berkeley Version in 59. You have the Amplified Bible, really a paraphrased Bible, in 65. You have the Jerusalem Bible in 66. You have the New English Bible in 1970. And I held it there because the continued of the original language are as they're being further studied, coming out of the Dead Sea Scrolls, just the languages themselves, as well as the movement of the English language over time. Hey, we use a different, they used a different word for donkey then. Okay? Language changes in that. And then I'll add this. The reality of the computer has been a phenomenal event in all of ancient literature research the ability to compare and contrast and see languages and how it works is stunning. And so out of that you have the New American Standard Bible, 1971, originally in 1901, uh, now 1971. New International Version, 1978, that was what I used in high school all through college. Um, most of my adult life and, until I went to later here. New King James uh, Version, eight, uh, 1982, the New Revised Standard, 1990, originally 1952, the New English Bible, 1991, originally 1970, the New Living Testament and the English Standard Version, which is what I use now in 2001, and I don't have time to tell why and the angles on those translations. I will tell you this, pick any of them up, and you have a good representation of what the original document said. And Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers. The flowers fade. It's fall right now. But the word of our God will stand forever. Friends, the Bible that we hold in our hands and is digitally downloaded on our phones, can we trust it? Can we trust its reliability with what was originally written? And when considering the Bible's origination, it's transmission, it's translation. Whether you agree with what it says or not, applying the tests of ancient literature analysis, the conclusion is that it is absolutely unlike, frankly, any other piece of literature on this planet. Bibliographical tests show that it contains what was originally recorded. Internal evidence tests show that it is 98.33% credible, which is beyond any other ancient piece of ancient literature. External evidence tests, those three tests are all commonly used in the world of literature analysis, show from what other historical materials include from it and say about it that it is accurate. Written over 1,500 years, that is unlike. Over 40 generations. By some 40 authors, absolutely unlike, from about every walk of life, writing from differing continents and differing languages and differing settings, with differing moods, writing about hundreds of controversial subjects, and the conclusion is that that there is no faith text. I would even argue there is no literary text like the biblical text. And it deserves our intention. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Psalm 119 Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Next Sunday, Pastor Chris do always lead to God. Lord, thank you for this time here. Thank you just for the attention of of your people and uh, on such a, a unique subject. And I just pray that in some way this would be an encouragement, this would be a help, this would even be an introduction and a fostering moment in our advancement of understanding the, the, the book that we call our Bible. And Father, I, I just... Thank you for what you have done and who you are and how you hold it in your hands and how you have cared for it, and even how you have given us, given us the evidence to know that it's just not some wackadoo thing that's off the range, off in some ancient time period, and we're just a bunch of wackadoos as well. God, instead, there is a confidence that comes in this that you have spoken. And we have this unique book called the Bible. I pray it would even foster us as individuals to be diving into it with a new hunger, a new, a new craving, a new admiration. It is absolutely unlike. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.